by three members of Parliament. Either the Home Secretary knew nothing about my antecedents, or his trained discretion counselled silence. I was brought up in the traditions of a house actively engaged in the affairs of its country for hundreds of years. As an only son, I was promptly and efficiently spoiled for anything else but the station in life which should have been mine, but never has been, and now never can be. I used to have high aspirations, but promises never kept shattered most of my ideals. The hard knocks of life have made me a fatalist, so now I shrug my shoulders. Que sera, sera. I've had to lead my own life, and all considered, I have enjoyed it. I've crowded into thirty-nine years more sensations than fall to the lot of the average half a dozen men. Following the custom of our house, I was trained as a military cadet. This military apprenticeship was followed by three years at a famous gymnasium, which fitted me for one of the old classic universities of Europe, and after spending six semesters there, I took my degree in philosophy and medicine. Not a bad achievement, I take it, for a young chap before reaching his twenty-second birthday. I've always been fond of study, and had a special aptitude for sciences and languages. On one occasion, I acquired a fair knowledge of Singhalese and Tamil in three months. From the university, I returned home. I'd always been obstinate and willful, not to say pig-headed, and being steeped in tales of wrongs done to my house and country, and with the crass assurance of a young sprig, fresh from untrammeled university life, I began to give vent to utterances that were not at all to the liking of the powers that were. Soon. Making myself objectionable, paying no heed to their protests, and one thing leading to another, my family found it advisable to send me into utter and complete oblivion. To them, I am dead, and all said and done, I would rather have it so. After the complete rupture of my home ties, I began some desultory globe trotting. I knocked about in out-of-the-way corners, where I observed and absorbed all sorts of things, which became very useful in my subsequent career. A native, and by that I mean an inhabitant of non-European countries, always fascinated me, and I soon learned the way of disarming their suspicion and winning their confidence. A proceeding very different to a European. After a time, I found myself in Australia and New Zealand, where I travelled extensively. And came to like both countries thoroughly. I've never been in the western part of the United States, but from what I have heard and read, I imagine that the life there more closely resembles the clean, healthy outdoor life of the Australians than any other locality. I was just on the point of beginning extensive travels in the South Sea Islands when the situation in South Africa became ominous. War seemed imminent. And following my usual bent of sticking my nose in where I was not wanted, I made tracks for this potential seat of trouble. I caught the first steamer for Cape Town, landing there a month before the outbreak of war. On horseback, I made my way in easy stages up to the Rand. Here happened one of those incidents which, although small in itself, alters the course of one's life. What took place when I rode into the small town on the Rand, known as Dornclaw? One chilly misty morning was written in the bowl of fate. Dorincloth is well named. It means the hoof of the devil. 
a straggling collection of corrugated iron shanties set in the middle of a greyish sandy plain, as barren of vegetation as the shores of the Dead Sea, sweltering hot an hour after sunrise, chilly cold an hour after sunset, populated by about 400 boers of the old narrow-minded ultra-Dutch type, with as much imagination as a grasshopper. That is Dornkloof. When I rode into the village, I was in a decidedly bad temper, hungry, wet to the skin, the dismal aspect of the place, the absence of anything resembling a hotel, the incivility of the inhabitants, all contributed to shorten my by no means long temper. I was ripe for a row. As I rode down the solitary street, I found a big burly dopper flogging brutally a half-grown native boy. This humanitarian had the usual Boer view that the shambok is more effective.